0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Good morning and welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to talk about the effect that salvation should have in the lives of a person. Now we'll be looking at how one is saved, but that's not my primary purpose. I want us to see the fruit or the results of salvation salvation is not about ceremonies or rituals it's about a changed life listen to what paul had to say in galatians chapter 6 and verse 15 says for in christ jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but a new creature we become new creatures when we truly get saved things are different we are not what we used to be before salvation again paul in ephesians 5 8 said for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the world, walk as children of light. When you are in a dark room and you turn the lights on, something changes. Two things happen when we are saved. First, the lights come on and we are able to see sin and righteousness as they really are. That is, we're able to understand why sin is so bad and we're able to see what righteousness is and we're able to understand why it's so important that we live righteous lives and why God must condemn unrighteousness. Secondly, uh, We become lights exposing the unrighteousness of the world because of the changes in our lives. People should actually see that something is different. My daughter, in her testimony, tells that one of the things that brought her to salvation was the change that she saw in her parents' life when they got saved. And I think it's important that we understand that change must must be there. Let's start out, though, by looking at how and why we are saved. Let's do this by looking at a very familiar passage. In Ephesians chapter two, we are familiar with verses eight and nine, but let's read from uh, verse four through verse 10. It says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath uh, quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in christ jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through christ jesus for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them now let's take a look at the points in this passage of scripture and see what it's really telling us the first thing we see is that God is rich in mercy because he has such great love towards us. He created us to have fellowship with him. Now, he knew everything that was going to happen, but his ultimate goal was that we have fellowship with him, and he loves us and wants that rich fellowship. His mercy and love were great even when we were enemies. That is, even when we were dead in sins, when we were walking in rebellion against him, he still had great love towards us and showed mercy towards us. Paul here is speaking to the saved in the church at Ephesus, and we need to keep that in mind as we look at this passage of Scripture. We are saved by God's grace. It is received through faith, and it is 100% without works. The reason we can't get to heaven by works is God doesn't want us to be able to brag about anything. It's all Him and not us, and there's nothing we could do uh, to... to, uh, remove our guilt and to stand justified before God. Our salvation is based in Christ, His sacrifice on the cross, and nothing else. There's another very important thing in this verse which is often forgotten. Although works have nothing to do with our obtaining salvation, they are the natural fruit of true salvation. What I'm saying here is if a person professes to be saved and there's not a change in their life, if there's nothing that shows they're a new creature, if there's nothing that that shows that something dramatic has happened in their life, you, you have every reason to doubt whether or not they truly got saved because it is natural and normal for a true Christian to live according to the precepts of God if we plant what we think is a cherry tree and then when the tree matures and starts uh, producing fruit and we start seeing peaches on it we know something is wrong it's not what we thought it was in the first place if a person professes to be a new creature in christ that is to be born again to be saved and the fruit that is produced does not reflect God's principles and a change in in the way we live our lives. There, there's every reason to to think that there was some mistake back in the sowing of the seed and uh, the, the, the so-called conversion. It may have been a conversion to religion or a conversion to the pastor or a conversion to uh, just finding an escape to hell, but it was not true salvation if the fruit is not the fruit that we should see. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if we're in Christ, we're new new creatures. It says, uh, old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. But what I want us to see in our passage here is that it is ordained of God that this new creature walk in good works. It's not optional. It's not something we can say, well, all right, I'm saved. I've got my ticket to heaven. Now I can live however I want. No, you can't. God will p- bring punishment into your life if you're truly his child, and he will make it very painful for you to live this life if you continually refuse his His uh, principles and don't follow them. Now, if you make a profession of Christ and don't live according to good works, don't do what's expected of a Christian, and there's no uh, punishment, no spanking, no uh, chastisement for living like the world, then you can be quite sure that the salvation that you have is not real. I know this may seem harsh to most of you listening to this, or at least to many of you, but let me tell you something. It's what the Bible teaches, and we need to get back to what the Bible teaches. You hear that quite often on this broadcast. We have departed from the things of the Word of God, and then we wonder why we're in such a mess, both in our personal lives, our families, our churches, and in our nation. It's because we've turned our back on the God who... uh, blessed this nation blessed us in our early years and and, uh, is now judging us for our rebellion and it's pretty obvious when you look at what's happening that that's what's going on so now let's look at what Paul says about how we're supposed to live after we're saved in uh, Titus chapter 2 starting in verse 11 and going through 14 we read for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Again, let's take this point by point and see what we learn from this passage of Scripture. God's saving grace has appeared to all men. Now, that's something that most of us don't realize is true, but all men, even those in places where the gospel has not been taken, God's saving grace has appeared to them. Now, they may reject it. They may try and find it in their false religions and things like this, but it's there. Now, I know that if they haven't heard the gospel, it's pretty hard for them to trust Christ uh, as their Savior. However, I know my God pretty well, and I'm quite positive that if that person will make the first step, if he will look out into the creation around him and he'll say, wow, the God that made this is really something and I must be responsible to him. I'm going to seek him out and start asking God to reveal himself to them, that God will do things to bring uh, what he needs to know for the next step into place, ultimately ending up with someone who can give him the gospel. And I believe God will preserve his life until that's done, as long as he does that, that seeking. I may not be able to tell you how God will do this, but I do believe that he will do it, that basic knowledge that's necessary is there for all men to see. Uh, However, we still need to remember that they must believe the gospel in order to be saved. So there's enough evidence to get them to start searching, but it's our responsibility to be tools in God's hand and willing to be the one that God may send as a missionary or, or some other way, get the gospel out to, to the people where the gospel is not prevalent. And we just need to, to understand the importance of our job. Let's just sum it up by saying this. I believe that when someone seeks after the true God, God will send a preacher to give them the truth. It also teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and I'm going to talk more about this at the end of the message but we need to deny those things to turn our back on them to stay away from them and get away from them. It teaches us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And Like I say I'm going to reserve talking more about that to the end of the message but I want you to understand that that's what should be happening. The reason for doing this, the reason that we should make these changes in our lives, the reason we should deny ungodliness, the reason we should live soberly, etc., is because of the blessed hope we have of the return of Christ. Do you know that uh, that Christ could return before I finish this broadcast? Do you realize that you may be standing face to face with, with uh, your Savior at any instant, It may be uh, the rapture, it may be a sudden heart attack, it may be almost anything that could happen and you could be facing God, uh, uh, your savior, and you want to be right with him. That's our motivation for living uh, a Christian life the way it's supposed to be led. Led. The purpose of our salvation is to show the power of God's grace. Uh, When he redeems us from all iniquity, it changes our lives. This shows that God is able to take a a sinful human being and turn them into a godly person who serves him. it's It's a growing process, I understand that, but there will be changes that start immediately as soon as we get saved. We will become zealous of good works. Now that word zealous means to be full of or characterized by enthusiasm for something. It is an ardent desire to do the best possible in the pursuit of a goal. As Christians, our goal should be to bring glory to God, to show who He is, so that other people can understand their need of of Him, their need of of a Savior, their sinfulness, and things like this. That should be our goal. And we should be zealous of that goal. We should be enthusiastic about it. We should be... uh, Desirous to preserve that goal with all that we have. Now, God will give us different jobs to do in reaching that goal. That's why it's not a single person, but it's a body, a church body, that does the job because some people have to do this part and some have to do that part. There's a lot of things that are involved. But uh, for our purpose, this zealously means living to bring glory to God. And it's motivated for all that he has done for us. I don't care who you are. If you're a Christian, God has done so much for you that you could never stop counting all the blessings he sent Uh, your way. Now you may be uh, living in very difficult times. You may be uh, going through some stressful things in your life. You may have marital problems, children problems. You may have financial problems. You may uh, have uh, people opposing you uh, wherever you are in school, at work, or wherever you are. You may have all these things happening, but stop and think at what God's done for you. It starts with, he saved you from uh, eternal death that is an eternity in the lake of fire but even beyond that he's given you life you're still breathing and if you're looking for for uh, the right kind of living he he's given you the ability to do that he has done so much for you it's 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 just unbelievable and if you're having for example marital problems he still has given you that spouse and you need to understand that that's, your spouse is a gift from God and and start looking for the ways that you receive blessings from that your spouse. I know that my wife has a character quite different from mine, and there are some things that she does that bug me no end. And believe me, I have those things I do that bug her no end also. But why did God give me a wife that had those characteristics? Because I needed to learn how to deal with them. And it's been such a help in my life to have the wife that I have. I can't believe God gave me the wife he gave me. I just, I surely didn't deserve it. That much is for sure. But we need to realize what he's done for us and that will give us the motivation, the zeal To follow his precepts and live our lives the way that we ought to be living our lives for him in his service. And his service does not mean what we call the full-time ministry. His service starts with us being the kind of person we should be. His service starts in a family by being the kind of parents and husbands and wives that we should be. That is part of our ministry. It is our most important ministry if you really stop and look at it. Remember, our first relationship is to God, but the first organization that God created on this earth was marriage, was the family. And that's where our first ministry goes. Then we step out from that into the other areas of ministry. Now, one thing I understand, and I know you understand, that there's a struggle in the life of every Christian to live righteously. And I want to take a moment to look at that also. A very large portion of the New Testament is given to our walk as the children of God. It compares our walk after the flesh before we were saved with our walk after the Spirit once we are saved. A true Christian walks after the Spirit not just on Sunday and Wednesday but 24 hours a day 365 days a the year. It is his whole manner of life because he is a new creature just like a dog has certain characteristics that are different from a cat, a saved person has certain characteristics that are different from a lost person and that means quite frankly that those differences will be natural and will show up in the lives of Christians. They will be there, but it's not easy. There's a struggle. This change is not something that is hard to do because it springs naturally from the new nature that we are given when we become the children of God. This does not mean there's no struggle. The flesh is not eradicated and we still have to deal with the flesh. We're still waiting for the redemption of our body or our flesh. Listen to what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, now listen to this, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So we live in our body and it still has the old nature. Our inner man has the new nature and there's a battle between the two. God has given us all we need to overcome the temptations of the flesh if we will just take advantage of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. The temptations that we have are not unique to us. They fall on everybody. Uh, It's common to all men. However, we have a faithful God who has given us a way to escape. We are able to overcome temptation because our help comes from God. The closer we walk with Him, the easier it is to overcome temptation. The Bible tells us that if we draw nigh unto God, He will draw nigh unto us. Now, that word nigh is not the same as near. Near is in close proximity. Uh, Nigh is hugging close. So the closer we are to God, the closer He draws to us. If we want Him to be close, we walk close to Him. If we want Him to be nigh, that is touching close, we walk touching close to Him. It's that easy. The changed life of a Christian is real but it is not without the need for effort. We still live in a body of flesh and our body wants to fulfill the desires of the flesh. God has given us a way to escape, but we must exercise our will in order to use what he has given us. In Romans chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, it says, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members as servants to righteousness unto holiness. We are born the servants of sin. When we obey the gospel from the heart and fully trust Christ for our salvation, we have followed that form of doctrine which delivers us from sin. When we are freed from sin, we become servants of righteousness. But since we still live in a body of flesh which wants us to yield our members to uncleanness and to iniquity, we must make a conscious effort to live righteous lives. We must work to live the kind of life God expects of His of his children. We are in a war between two natures. The old nature is not eradicated and will not be until we receive the redemption of our bodies. The new nature wants to follow righteousness and the old nature wants to follow unrighteousness. In the cartoons, and some of you are old enough to remember some of the commercials we used to see on television, we see a person with a good angel on one shoulder and a bad angel on the other, each trying to tempt the person to follow that particular angel's will. This is the best picture I can think of to illustrate what goes on in the mind of a Christian. We have a battle, we're presented with a choice and we have to decide whether we're going to follow the flesh or the Spirit and we we don't have those angels physically sitting there but we have the flesh pulling us one way and the Spirit pulling us the other way and it's up to us to to make the right decision and to follow the Spirit rather than the flesh there's nothing that makes us that forces us to do it however if the Holy Spirit is active in your heart you should have a strong desire to do what's right the Bible says that we're supposed to think like Christ says let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus now think about the mind that Christ had Christ was God he descended to earth and became a man in so doing he gave up temporarily his prerogatives not his rights but his prerogatives of Godhood and he suffered as a man when two people of the same mind it means they think alike Where do we find the mind of Christ? Where do we find out how we're supposed to think as He does? It's found in the Holy Scriptures. The more we fill our minds with the Word of God, the more we will think like Christ. In the computer world, we have a saying, junk in, junk out. It's no different in the spiritual world. If we feed our minds with the junk of this world, the output, the way we live our lives, will be like the junk of this world. On the other hand, if we fill our minds with the things of God, our lives will reflect His holiness. It's not all that complicated, is it? It's really quite simple. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, and be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be f- filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a command to all of God's children. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? The answer is simple. To be filled with the Spirit is simply to be filled with God's Word. When God's Word is the motivating factor, when it's the the center of our thoughts, when it's what guides our decisions, then we're filled with the Spirit. When a person is drunk with wine, he is filled with wine, and it affects his his behavior. When a a person is filled with the Spirit, it means he has filled himself with God's Word. It's really not complicated, folks. I don't know why we make it seem like it is. In John chapter 6, verse 63, it says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are truth. So that which quickens or makes us alive is the spirit. The words of Christ, and he's the author of the whole Bible after all, are spirit and life. It is only through the Word of God that we find life. We find the secret to salvation. We find uh, how we're supposed to live. We find all of that stuff in the Scriptures. And it is only through the filling of ourselves with the Word of God that we can be filled with the Spirit. There's no other way. How much time do you spend in God's Word? Or more importantly... Not how much time do you read God's word, but how much time do you spend meditating on God's word? That is thinking over God's word, thinking about how it affects your life and how it should, should make you live differently from the way you may be living at the present time uh, or how it motivates you. Uh, how much time do you really spend thinking about the things of God? When the pastor finishes preaching in a message, do you immediately go to a friend in the church and start talking about the ball game or something like that? Or do you spend some time thinking about it? Does your family talk about the messages and talk about how it affects their lives? Things like this. These are the kind of things that make a difference. These are the kind of things that show that we're filled with the Spirit of God. We're not filled with the Spirit of God on a one-time basis. Just like a person who gets drunk with wine, that wine will wear off. We, as Christians, if we don't stay in the Word of God, stay thinking about it, stay meditating on it, we will start forgetting some of those things. So we need to be constantly refilling ourselves with the Word of God. This is done several ways. It's done, of course, by going to church and listening to your pastor or your Sunday school teacher and things like this. As you're taught the Word of God, it's also done by personal Bible study. It's also done by conversation and talking with other Christians. Remember the Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron and and that, uh, that we sharpen one another when we discuss uh, scriptural things and we look at them from different points of view. Now we have to make sure that the point of view that we're using matches up with the Word of God. We don't all have the right to our own interpretation, but somebody may have thought of something that you never thought of before and it may make good sense and it may fit with the Word of God. So we're supposed to to talk about these things with other people. It's extremely important that we do things this way. When we're filled with God it will affect every aspect of our lives. This effect will not be apparent only on Sunday. It will be apparent all the time. We will not just talk about spiritual things in church, we will talk about them in our homes, and on our jobs, and on vacation, and everywhere we go. We will talk about them. That doesn't mean we'll be obnoxious with them, but we will talk about them. It also means that we will not just dress like a Christian on Sunday, and like the world on Monday, but we will dress like a Christian all the time. We will not go to church on Sunday and then on Friday go out to the local honky-tonk with our buddies to have a good time. Our speech will not just be clean on Sunday, it will be clean throughout the whole week. God's grace, when fully understood, teaches us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Soberly means we should be serious about the way we live our lives. We should understand that the way we live our lives affects others. If we live a worldly lifestyle, what message is it sending to our friends and our children, our co-workers, things like that. We should live a life that is dedicated to being a good example. Righteously. Well, that's not a difficult one. It just means doing that which is right. But the standard for righteousness is not the world's standard. It's the Word of God standard and we must live according to that. Godly simply means that we're living a life that reflects God in His holiness and they can see that there's something about Him that's different and that's the way we're supposed to live our lives. Something is dreadfully wrong in modern Christianity. When you go outside the church Most Christians act and look no different from the lost world. You can't tell by looking at them they're a Christian. Has anybody ever walked up to you when you're going about your daily affairs and said, you know, you look like a Christian. There's something different about you. I'm not saying that's going to happen to all of us when we live godly lives, but it's something that could and should happen, uh, at least on occasion. If a person is truly saved, don't you think the Holy Spirit would bring conviction in the hearts of that person when that person is not living according to God's principles? Don't you think there should really be something different if you are a new creature? The effect of salvation is a changed life. It's not just a ticket to heaven, it's a whole new way of looking at things, it's a whole new way of living, it's a whole new, everything I guess I should say. You love different things, I mean, my favorite pastime, I mean, I like football, I like playing my music, uh, playing my banjo or something like this, I, I enjoy those things, but my favorite pastime, absolutely favorite pastime, is sitting around with other people discussing the Word of God. That is because the Word of God is an integral, central part of my lives, and that's the way it should be for all Christians. And I know many of you are out there saying amen, but those of you who aren't, you need to think about this. You need to check up and make sure that you've got the right salvation if it hasn't had the right effect in your life, if it's not producing the right fruit. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, SolidFoundationMinistries.com, or call 828 828- 244 Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.